You are listening to audio from Riverside Church. If you would like to check out more resources, please visit riverside.church. Good morning. Wow. Thanks, Rach. (laughs) Uh, All right. I'm Sean Titus, as uh, most of you know. Uh, Really, I'm just Susan's husband. Susan is my claim to fame, but I get to preach today. Uh, As we were, some of you might remember, I preached, man, it's a long time ago now maybe, but shortly after my knee surgery, I was on pain meds at that time. Um, So I'm not, so we'll have no crying today. Um, As a matter of fact, we had, uh, at our home group, we've been sharing our stories about, just telling them about our lives so we get to know each other better. A couple weeks ago, Susan was sharing her story, and as part of that story, she was telling about how I went through a period of counseling. And she said, he emerged from that so much more social and uh, engaging with people, and all the people in our home group were like, now he's more social? So I'll try to keep you engaged this morning, but we're going to dive right in. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this word and the challenge that you give us and that uh, you don't want us to just drift along, but that you have a plan for us and that sometimes it seems surprising. I pray that we would be challenged by that and learn from you this morning. Amen. All right, so the passage today is Matthew 7, 1 through 7. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under your feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Easy, right? Don't judge. What's that really mean when we say do not judge? A while ago, I used to listen on the radio to Bill O'Reilly, and he would often, it would come up, whenever it came up of questions of faith, he would say, I can't judge them. I leave that up to the deity. So is that the goal? Just mind my own business and, and let people live their life? Since this is 2023, I figured I, had, I could have a few memes up here. Or is that so 2022? I don't know. I didn't ask my kids to preview this, so maybe I'm committing a faux pas. Okay, the first one. None of us want to be that judgmental judger, right? We don't want people to see us that way. Although this does beg the question, who's the judgmental judger? Is it the judgmental judger or the person calling the judgmental judger a judgmental judger? Right. Most of us in that meme just want to be the dog. to be supporting, loving. Look at that guy. There is no judging going on there. Now I know Keith's thinking, Hank, that's Hank. But every time I go over to your house, what do I hear? Judge, 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 judge. 
Yeah. I don't know. Okay, one last point on this one. Inwardly, I'm judging the person that made this meme, because after the G, there's no E. How can you make a meme about being a judgmental and spell judgmental wrong? I don't know. That's kind of like my next meme. Now, I'm sure none of you can relate to that. I think I'm going to be non-judgmental, but then I start to hear the story, and I think, really? Okay, one last one. Now, this one, you might think, wow, that's kind of uh, shocking there. It does sound nice to be the first person up there. You know, don't judge me for what I wear, and we probably shouldn't be doing that, right? But then what do you do about that second one? It's not as easy as it seems sometimes, I think, for us. So what do we do? How do we follow Jesus' command to not judge? We can't just ignore it and go on judging however we want. He did say it, so it must be important. We also run into trouble if we just blindly and naively say, I'm not going to judge anybody. So first, let's define the word judge. The Greek word here is krino. I'm probably saying it wrong. I'm not a trained pastor. Uh, but there's a couple possible definitions. It can mean to decide the correctness of a matter or to pass judgment on or condemn. I don't think it, we're talking about the first one in this situation. Much of the Bible is telling us that we have to decide what's right and wrong. We have choices before us all the time, and we have to make a judgment in those situations. If we look at Acts 4.19, Peter and John are called before the Sanhedrin to explain why they're preaching about Jesus. And what do they reply? Peter and John replied, what's right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him, you be the judge. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. So here you have Peter and John, they're called before the Sanhedrin to explain what they're doing, and they, tell, they turn it around, they tell the Sanhedrin, you need to make a judgment. You need to make a decision, what's right or wrong. They didn't say, don't judge me, why are you judging me? They're calling them to make a good judgment. Jeremiah also condemned this idea of just saying everything's okay in Jeremiah 6.14. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. We can't just say that there's peace when there is no peace. Or look at the wounds of our people, our friends, and say, oh, that's no big deal. Just go on. I'm not going to judge you. You just keep on down that bad path, whatever it is that you're on. I do have to make one important point, though, so we're going to make a distinction here Let's look at 1 Corinthians 5, verses 12 and 13. Here we taught this passage in 1 Corinthians. It's talking about a lot of immorality in the church. There's bad things going on in the church. And in the middle of that, Paul says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. Those are some strong words there. Um, first of all, he says he does call the church to make a strong judgment 
within the church in order to protect the people from evil and corruption. Expel the evil person from among you is a pretty strong statement there. However, what do we usually do? We usually spend a lot of time pointing out the sin of those outside the church. It's a lot easier that way, to just point at people outside the church. Well, what's Paul telling us here? That's not our job. That's God's job. God's job is to judge those outside the church. It doesn't mean that we should call it good or say what they're doing is not sin, but it's not our role to judge them. And really, we shouldn't be surprised when people who don't follow Jesus live like it. That shouldn't be shocking to us. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict them of their sin. The classic example that we see when wherever we're talking about judging is, is Jesus with the woman at the well in John 4. We're not going to look at the whole passage, but here's a woman outside the church, right? She's a Samaritan. Um, Jesus talks to her, and when he does, he points out her sin, but she, she did bring it up. And it's not like he's just standing on the street corner yelling at her, right? He also did, offered, sorry, he talked to her like a real person, offered her grace in the conversation, and he did it in such a loving and winsome way that she ran out of there telling everyone about Jesus. Wow, <laughs> how do you do that? When, I got to take a little, uh-oh, I might get in trouble. This is not in the text. We were at, uh, when we were at Camp Raybird, we would always say Mike had that gift. Uh, we had a woman one time that came over to camp to pick up her kid from camp. She had come from a bar. She had a glass of beer in her hand coming to pick up her kid. And we're like, no, <laughs> this isn't going to happen. We're not letting you drive out of here with your cup of beer. Mike called the cops on her. The cops made her leave her car, took her home. The next day she comes out to pick up her car and is talking with Mike like they're great buddies. And I thought, ah, how do you do this? How do you call the cops on somebody and the next day they're like your great buddy? But we ought to be able to do that, right? Uh, a side note, if you haven't watched this scene in The Chosen, it is really good with Jesus and the woman at the well. Sometimes things like that just flesh it out for us, give us... Uh, context or, or more imagination of what it actually could, could look like. All right, another passage that talks about this is Galatians 6. Galatians 6 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Note that we cannot help restore our brother and sister if we're not willing to call what they do sin. And this is part of what we're called to do, to help restore each other. We don't want to be like the people that Jeremiah condemns and just gloss over our brother and sister's serious issues. Two things I want to point out from this passage. First, we're talking about a brother who is caught in a sin. A sin. We often get caught up in all the dumb, trivial things. What are you wearing? Some things that I might think are a sin, but are pretty gray, that I just need to let it go, right? But somebody that's really caught, those are the ones then we tend to gloss over, because those are hard issues to deal with with people, 
it's much easier just to stay in the trivial things. Second, it talks about restoring that person gently. I think a part of that requires not jumping to conclusions, asking questions, not being harsh when we do it, restore them gently. There's also a warning here to watch yourself lest you be tempted, which brings us back to our passage that we're talking about today. Jesus says that we have to be careful to take the log out of our own eye first. Let's look back at that. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. We need to be careful and humble in our approach to helping our brothers and sisters. Jesus' admonition calls us to approach any speck with humility. No matter how clearly we see, we don't have all the answers. But we also need to not let that hold us up forever. Note Jesus doesn't just leave it at, you have a plank in your own eye, so you are not fit to remove someone else's speck. But I think a lot of us get stuck there. No, Jesus says, Remove the plank from your eye. That, that, that might probably take some help. But remove that plank from your eye so that you can help remove the speck from your brother's eye. Our humble awareness of someone else's speck could be just what that person needs in order to seek repentance. Andrew wrote that line, but I really liked it. Our humble awareness of someone else's speck could be just what that person needs in order to seek repentance. That's the goal, right? People have said to me at times, well, I can't, whatever it is, right? Challenge someone in their faith, serve with the youth, lead a home group, whatever, because I have these faults. I got these logs in my eyes. I can't take the speck out of my brother's eye. But God loves us too much to let us just sit in our current condition. He has a plan for us, and part of that involves us helping our brother with the speck in his eye. This section is also very interesting with the parallel of the previous chapter where it says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. We can help. We can be a part of helping our brother or sister to have healthy eyes, full of light. I know Stan's already doing that, but we can too. So if we go back to the passage now, we have this funny part about dogs, pearls, and swine. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under your feet and turn and tear you to pieces. I think that some people aren't in a position to receive the gift of the truth of correction. I borrowed that phrase too, but I really like it. The gift of the truth of correction. It is a gift that you're offering to people. but Some people aren't ready for it. Some people receive that as a threat, and they'll trample it and turn on you because they don't want their sin exposed. And you need to be able to recognize that and move on then. 
I think any one of you that have offered that gift of correction to people might have experienced this at times. In this case, Jesus just says to refrain, to recognize that and refrain from offering that gift to somebody. Again, we also have to remember that this applies to a brother, not to someone outside the church. Jesus is speaking these parables regarding fellow disciples, and believers have no obligation to to correct someone who is not a brother. That can be hard for us sometimes. Then we have a seemingly unrelated verse at the end. I was saying to Susan, I don't think I'm even going to talk about this. She said, you have to talk about it. It's in the passage. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. You could preach a whole sermon on this verse. Many times that has been done, preaching a whole sermon. I'm just going to say, in this context, when we're talking about judging, we need to go to God. We need to ask and seek. We need to ask for his wisdom. We need to ask him to prepare the other person. We need to recognize that it's God who provides for us. That he's the one that can open the door, and we can't force it. But we need to, do, we need to go to him. And we need to recognize that because it's up to him ultimately, that frees us up. And I can stand on the foundation of my faith in Christ to not be blown about by if they do trample my my words that I'm offering, that that's not going to sway me, but I'm firm in him. Now I'm going to say to summarize, but don't get too excited, I'm not done. I got some examples. So to summarize, I think that Jesus says, when Jesus says, do not judge, He's talking about the kind of judgment that has no room for grace, empathy, or most important, change. We need to help restore each other by recognizing and addressing sin, and we need to do it in a humble way, remembering our forgiveness. So, what does this look like then? I have a couple, oh, I have three examples. First one, as I said, we're taking turns at home group, explaining, uh, telling the story of our life. The Vanderays are part of our home group, and Dale works as a beer brewer. After he was telling his story, Laura said, you know, I grew up in this really conservative background where, like, alcohol was completely, like, way out of here, right? How do you reconcile that with you being a brewer? What a great question, right? It would have been so easy for her to go home that that night and say to Adam, can you believe he brews beer? You're supposed to show that. <laughs> but she didn't do that. She asked the question, and that gives an opportunity for deeper relationship, both for them and for all of us observing it, too. It also gives an opportunity for follow-up. Starting with the question demonstrates humility instead of jumping to a conclusion. And then it's more reasonable, if it is an opportunity that needs to be challenged, to then challenge, to say, okay, I understand that you, whatever, but I think the Bible says this. What do you think about that? That gives you a path to go there deeper with the person and challenge them. I think that this is a really good picture of grace and truth. By the way, if you're curious about the answer, you'll have to ask Dale. I'm not going to tell you, but it is something that he had thought about. He had thought through. 
as, as Bill O'Reilly would say, he had paid the brain bill on it. I am my second example. When I was working at camp, we didn't have much money. Um, yeah, we just didn't have much money at all. And then we had, a, we had a friend of ours, a couple, that had a lot of money. And they spent their money very differently than I did. And that was hard for me at times. We had a TV that was, it was nice. Yes, Mike, Mike got it for us. It was nice. But I would go over to my friend's house, and he had this big TV. And then I'd be a little jealous. I'd be okay when I was at home, but I'd go over there and I'd be a little jealous. Or one time he mentioned that uh, he was buying a new car for his son, 16-year-old son, a new, new car. At the time, we were trying to scrape together a couple $2,000 to buy Rachel a car. We had told her we'd buy her a car, and that was a challenge for us. And, and this was just hard, hard for me. I probably should have talked to him like Laura did. I didn't. Um, and at the time, I decided to myself that, yes, he does spend money very differently, but he's also very generous with his money. He's responsible to God, and I needed to let it go. I think there's times for that. This was a challenge for me to not judge him that I did struggle with over the years there. So in this example, it's a little bit of a mixed bag. I, you know, I, I did not end up judging him in the end, but I also didn't go to him and talk about it with the opportunity of a deeper relationship and maybe challenging him in some ways that could have been good, or him challenging me in it. My third example is a little bit longer, a little bit older. So March 4th, 1865, Lincoln gave his second inaugural address. The Civil War is almost over, but not completely. Robert E. Lee surrendered one month later. The last battle was two months later. Juneteenth is about three months away, so we're still, it's towards the end, but we're still in the middle of it. And here's some excerpts from his inauguration speech. I'd encourage you to read the whole thing. It's really good. You wouldn't think that about a politician's speech, <laughs> but it is good. Okay. Both parties deprecated war, but one of them would make war rather than let the nation survive, and the other would rather accept war than let it perish, and the war came. Neither party expected for the war the magnitude or the donation which had already attained. Both read the same Bible, pray to the same God, and each invokes his aid against the other. It may seem strange that any men should dare to ask a just God's assistance in wringing their bread from the sweat of other men's faces, but let us judge not that we be not judged. The prayers of both could not be answered. That of neither has been answered fully. The Almighty has his own purposes. If we suppose that American slavery is one of those offenses which, in the providence of God, must needs come, but which, having continued through his appointed time, he now wills to remove, and that he gives to both North and South this terrible war as the woe due to those by whom the offense came, shall we discern therein any departure from those divine attributes which, which the believers in a living God always ascribe to him. Susan and I had gone to Washington, D.C. a few months ago, and I noticed this. We were at the Lincoln Memorial, and it's, this is printed out on the side of the Lincoln Memorial. 
And it just struck me there in the middle. Let us judge not that we be not judged. And this is not some weak, you know, okay, everybody's good. I'm not going to judge anybody. He led the Civil War. The number of soldiers that died in the Civil War is approximately equal to the total of the Revolutionary War, the War of 1812, the Mexican War, the Spanish-American War, World War I, World War II, and the Korean War combined. Uh, the slide behind me shows the Lincoln Monument. So we were there, and like I said, the, the speech is printed over on the side. It might be a little difficult on the scene. I guess you can see it up there pretty good. But if you look at his hands, the sculptor wanted to depict Lincoln with his left hand clenched to show his determination to see the Civil War through to its conclusion. His right hand open to represent a desire to welcome the vanquished Confederacy back into the Union without vengeance. On the one hand, he went to war and thousands died. On the other hand, he wants to see reconciliation. I just think that's a great picture of truth and grace and holding both of those. And how does he get through this? We put that text back up. Look at the bottom line there. Shall we discern therein any departure from those divine attributes which the believers in a living God always ascribe to him? Awkward wording for us today, right? But he's saying in the end, we must trust God. There are divine attributes that we ascribe to God. Like we had talked about in the call to worship, his majesty. I think of his justice and mercy. And in the midst of whatever situation we're in, we must trust God that God remains the same. Those divine attributes have not changed. I don't need to judge the unbeliever next to me because I know God's in control. It's not up to me to change the world. We have a part in that, but that's not my responsibility. I can humbly confront the speck in my brother's eye because I'm secure in God and can love my brother from that place of security. That faith in God is the bedrock in how we can not judge. So now, in response, we're going to worship the God who's redeemed each of us, forgiven us, and reconciled to us to himself through the death of Jesus. Standing firm on that foundation gives us two things. One, the chance to be, not be judgmental. But two, the opportunity to be his agents of reconciliation in other people's lives. Thank you for listening to Riverside Church. For more resources, visit riverside.church.